This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. So before I get started with today's show, I need to send my best wishes for a very, very speedy recovery and a full recovery to Kenny Anderson, someone I now consider a friend. Kenny had a stroke recently at his home in Florida. By all accounts, he seems to be doing well. That's fantastic news. Hopefully, he continues on the road to a full recovery. Of course, Kenny Anderson is a legendary basketball point guard. One of my true basketball heroes. I was such a big fan of his growing up when he was a star at Georgia Tech. And then going on to have an incredible NBA career with many teams. I was fortunate enough to have Kenny on my podcast back in episode number 38 last July. And we talked about his growing up, his career on and off the court. And we talked about his Mr. Chibs documentary, which by the way, I don't care if you're a basketball fan or not. It's riveting TV and well worth watching. If you haven't seen that yet, trust me, that's something that you're going to want to see. Anyway, hope Kenny's doing well. I hope he continues to get better. Nothing but the best for a great basketball player and a great human being. And on that note, what's up, podcast fans? Welcome to episode number 99 of the Moranalytics podcast. Today is Tuesday, March 5th, 2019. Thank you, as always, for listening and downloading. If you have not subscribed yet, please do so. Rate and review. That stuff always helps us tremendously. It's so clutch. Coming up on today's show, my guest will be Buffalo Bills long snapper, Reed Ferguson. I talked to Reed about growing up in Georgia, what got him into becoming a long snapper, why he went to LSU for college, what that process was like, how he ended up with the Buffalo Bills, how his time in Buffalo has went so far, plenty more. I also want him to do the mini lightning round to learn some fun facts about him. Oh, yeah. And we also talk about his favorite TV show of all time, which not coincidentally is mine as well. I'm talking, of course, about The Office. Fun chat with a really fun dude. And then immediately after that, I got the return of Pat with Pucks. Haven't had my man Tone Pucks on in a good solid month. That changes today. Today, we're hitting on that epic collapse that the Buffalo Sabres have went through, and Pucks discusses how much he dislikes Phil Housley as the head coach, which is easy to say now, but in fairness to him, it's a position that he's had pretty much since the day Phil Housley was hired. 
So we talk about that. We talk about a lack of leadership that may be leading to the tuning out of yet another Sabres head coach, which of course happened previously with Dan Bleisma. After that, we're going to turn our attention to the Buffalo Bills, where Pucks talks about offensive tackle and defensive tackle being his top two offseason priorities. Well, for me, I stay on my stump, man, that LaShawn McCoy's days in Buffalo may end up numbered. I've been saying that, and I don't care what any coach or GM says. I'm staying with that. So we talk about that. We end with a puck drop where he goes fanboy over the final season of Game of Thrones coming real soon. Quick programming note, then we'll get started. Friday is my 100th episode, and to celebrate that, I'm going to have my man Tim Graham from The Athletic on. Tim's not only one of the most respected sports writers of this generation, but he's also one of the best interviews you'll hear anywhere. Plenty has changed with Tim's career since I had him on the podcast all the way back on episode number two. He was still at the Buffalo News at the time, and I very, very much look forward to getting his thoughts and takes on a lot of things. Again, though, that is Friday's show. Let's handle today's business first. There's my interview with Buffalo Bills long snapper Reed Ferguson, followed by another installment of Pat with Pucks. All right, boys and girls, my guest today is the long snapper for the Buffalo Bills. He signed a three-year extension recently, so he's going to be in Buffalo for quite a while. He's a great snapper, and perhaps more importantly to me anyway, he's also a big fan of the office, so we are most definitely going to talk about that as well. Reed Ferguson, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, the pleasure's definitely all mine. And before we get started talking about some topics, props to you. Congratulations on signing the three-year extension with the Buffalo Bills in January. Glad that you're going to be back. I appreciate that. Yeah, I was... uh... Definitely excited to uh, get back with the team, and uh, you know they, they showed some—they're showing some faith in me, bringing me back for three years. So it's uh, appreciated on on both ends. All right, let's go back to the beginning. What I like to do when I have an opportunity to interview an athlete for this podcast is give fans a chance to know them a little bit better, besides just what they do now. Buffalo Bills fans, for the most part, only know you through the work that you've done with the team. But you're not from Buffalo. You're not from New York. You're not even from the North. You grew up in Georgia. What was it like growing up in Georgia for you? Oh man, uh, it, it was great. I, Georgia's a great Georgia's a great place for anybody that hasn't been. Um, bounced around Atlanta a little bit growing up. Uh, grew up kind of on the on the north side. Uh, moved to the uh, northeast side, I guess, uh, when I was in high school, and then now I live a little bit on the west uh, west side of Atlanta. But um, Shoot, I love Atlanta. I mean, I set up my kind of my home base here for the off season. Uh, one of the big things I like to do is uh, is and if, for those people that follow me on social media, I, I was just in London for a week, going to a few soccer games with my dad. So that's big, you know, one of the big bigger things I like to do. So I have season tickets for Atlanta United, uh, Atlanta's MLS team. So. One of the, that's that's one of the big big activities I like to do in the off season is, is go to those soccer games. So that's that's kind of important to me, uh, you know, to, to be to be here for that. But um, also, I mean, it, you know, it's it's easy to get to a lot of places, you know, from Atlanta Airport in terms of of, of that of 
you know, that way of thinking about things. But also, um, I mean, there's, there's a ton of stuff to do. You really can't ever run out of things to do in Atlanta. So I, I love it. Did you always have this level of interest in soccer as a kid, or is this something that grew for you as you became a young adult? Uh, I mean, I played, you know, just like everybody did when they were, you know, little, but no, I started really following it uh, early on in my college career. Me and my roommate uh, got into it, started following it. And uh, yes, it's kind of, you know, exponentially grown from there. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know if obsessed is the right word, but I guess I am obsessed with it. I, I mean, I love it inside and out, European, American, you know, MLS, you name it. I'm, I'm, you know, I, lo- I love to follow it all. With regards to football, how were you introduced to long snapping? What got you interested in doing that? Because that's definitely not a job. That's for everybody. No, right. Yeah, no, I, um, jo- you know, the common joke with people when, when they do ask me about how did I get into it is, you know, you, you never, you don't grow up as a kid saying, you know, you want to be a long snapper. Everybody wants right. to be the quarterback, the receiver, running right. back, you know, whatever it may be. But uh, no, in uh, eighth grade, uh, or the center and the snapper uh, got hurt, and I was playing defensive end and tight end at the time, and uh, but wasn't really playing. Uh, kind of th- three or four years into my football, you know, playing, you know, career, if you if you will, but uh, wasn't really playing. Thought up, you know. Wasn't really sure if I was going to continue or not. And the guy, you know, the guy got hurt. So my dad was like, you know, hey, you know, why don't you give it a shot? You know, we can practice a little bit, you know, see if see if it's some something you, you'd be good enough to get on the field and, and get you some playing time. So, you know, lo and behold, we started waking up before school and practicing, you know, out of snapping out of the garage. And, you know, <laughs> the rest is history, I guess. It's definitely a tough position to play because – it's one of those positions where it seems like you're for the most part only getting to get noticed by the casual fan. If you make a mistake, you know, if you go through an entire season without one bad snap, some people aren't even going to know who you are, but rest assured you, you know, you had two bad snaps in a game that cost the team, you know, an opportunity to kick a a game winning field goal. Everyone's going to know who you are. You, I feel like to be a long snapper, you need to have a very special mentality. Do you agree? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, there is, I guess, pressure wise, you, you, you always feel a little bit playing at this level, but, um, I think what, you know, with the amount of time that we put in day in and day out, you know, I guess in terms of like the operation with the holder and the, and the kicker, me and the punter, you know, it, when you get in the game, it kind of feels, you know, second nature because you, you get so many reps, you know, coming up here in the spring, we've got OTAs for two months. We're going to be working together that whole time, plus training camp and then going into the season. So, and then, you know, snapping, you know, three or four days a week, every game week. So um, I guess in, t- in terms of that, it's not, it wouldn't be as much pressure to mess up. It's more, um, you know, it, it, it's muscle, a lot of it's muscle memory and, and second nature. Sure. Now, in high school, I read that you were the number two long snapper prospect in the entire country. You chose to go to LSU. Why did you choose to go there? And what were one or two of the other schools that you may have considered going to? So I had an offer 
from LSU, I had another offer to Tennessee, and then I had another one to San Diego State. Um, never really considered San Diego State because uh, it was too far away. Didn't want my parents traveling all the way out west, uh, you know, to just right. be able to see me play. But uh, then I, you know, I knew that I was good enough to to play on on a high level, like in the SEC. So. You know, it was kind of between LSU and Tennessee, and, and funny enough, both my parents actually went to Tennessee, but they didn't um, they didn't push me too much. You know, they they wanted me to make my own decision. Uh, you know, in terms of of deciding my future, but they certainly helped along the way. You know, kind of uh, with some with some points to think about. But uh, you know, L- LSU really really struck me uh, over the years as I as I visited down there over the summer, and then. Uh, my, the first game that I went to was LSU Alabama in 2010, I believe. It was my junior season, and uh, we, LSU beat them. And I all I saw, you know, one of the few things I remember from that game is the student section when when they beat Alabama. Student section, everybody from like the top and middle levels just completely just threw their drinks, like. <laughs> forward just like on the people you know in you know 20 rows in front of them and i was like wow you know this place is nuts i can definitely see myself playing here you know (laughs) but uh no i mean when i i had coached miles less miles there for my four years love him to death great coach he's he's gonna do great at kansas but um you know they they say don't go to college for the coach but you know I, i figured that coach miles is gonna be there for a while you know funny enough he got fired the year after i left but no i i I, if i could do it all over again i would i choose lsu every time i saw a stat and this is crazy while you were at lsu 497 long snaps and only one of them was aaron and that was your first game as a true freshman too that that's a crazy stat that's consistency right there man yeah that's uh it it does not matter what i do it seems like uh well, I guess it's kind of tapered off now, but a lot of the a lot of the interviews I used to do uh, in college, that everybody would would love to bring up that first snap. But if I didn't have that first snap, you know, I, I I'm not sure I'd be in the position I am today because oh, I right. truly think that I truly think that that first snap, you know, kind of brought me back down to earth. Realized, you know, hey, everybody's got nobody nobody's perfect. Everybody's got room to improve on, sure. on every aspect of, on every aspect of their uh you know of, of their art of their position so you know it, it keeps me hungry it keeps me you know I'm, I'm never satisfied i'm always looking to get better you signed with the bills after the 2016 draft and you spent the season on the practice squad first were there any teams around the league that you came close to signing with other than buffalo so Washington was the only other team after the draft that offered me um, a contract, but uh, Buffalo was was a little little more tempting because, um, well, I guess it's not the only reason, but one of the reasons was my agent has uh, one other snapper uh, in the league, and it happens to be Washington's guy. So uh, I didn't didn't want to go there and kind of you know have a conflict of interest. Sure. But yeah, I mean I. I I was looking for a challenge, and I, I felt like uh, Buffalo was a good spot for me. The weather, was that a major adjustment for you? You know, you're a Southern guy, grown up in Georgia, went to school in LSU, and then you're moving up to play professional football in Buffalo. How big was that weather adjustment for you? May, and I'm also, this is kind of a two-part question, first snapping, but also just living, you know what I mean? Being in that weather in the wintertime. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it was uh, it was a, it was definitely a change. You know, I, as you said, growing up in Atlanta and then going to school at LSU, I've seen more snow. And, you know, I saw I probably saw more snow in, in my first season on the practice squad in Buffalo than I had my whole life growing up the previous right. you know, yeah. 20, 21 years. So but I mean, I enjoy it. I love it. That's part. I mean, that's that's part of it. And you got you you learn to love it playing in Buffalo. And I honestly I do love playing up there. The the, the weather, you know, you, you take it as it comes. It's out of your control. But, uh, you know, I mean guys guys that come and go they dream about you know hosting playoff games when it's you know negative five outside and that's you know that's kind of what we're working towards right now how special was it for you to spend your first full nfl season on an active roster as part of a team that broke a 17-year playoff drought i mean that new year's eve plane ride coming over from miami the night you guys clinched the playoffs you guys were treated literally like heralds at the airport. I mean, it was a, one of the crazier scenes I've ever seen in Buffalo. And, you know, I've been there most of my life, saw the team go to four straight Super Bowls and all that. But that scene, to break that drought that night on New Year's Eve, it was one of the more special things I've ever seen in Bill's franchise history. Absolutely. Yeah, that was, um, de- you know, definitely consider myself fortunate, you know, to be on that team and, and to to break that streak and, and, and have that kind of on the resume. But I mean, that was that was probably being in that locker room and, you know, everybody's seen the videos, but being in that locker room when Cincinnati scored that touchdown to to beat Baltimore was was probably one of the top, you know, if not number one, most exhilarating moments of my football career. And and it wasn't even on the field. So, right. um, Yeah, no, I, I would not trade that experience for for anything. Conversely, how tough was last year? I know expectations league-wide for the Bills may have been a little tempered with the rookie quarterback and all that stuff, but I'm sure you guys all set a standard for yourselves. Had to be a disappointing season, especially having that euphoria of going to the playoffs the year before as a player. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it. you know, it, it was tough, but we, you know, as a team, we understand that, uh, you know, Coach McDermott and the coaching staff and, and Brandon Bean, uh, you know, they, they have us headed in the right direction and, you know, we're bought in. We, we know, we know where we're going. We know that success doesn't happen overnight. And, um, you, you know, we're, we're all working very diligently to, to head in the right direction and know that, that we've got great pieces on the roster and uh, definitely pieces that, that can, that can take us to win a lot of games. This offseason feels entirely different than last offseason. For starters, a salary cap situation this year is much, much better. As opposed to last year, well, I don't want to say it was dire, but the Bills were far more limited in the types of moves that they could make. So that's a big deal. Plus, last year at this time, nobody knew who the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills was going to be. I mean, I don't even think the staff knew at this time anyway who the quarterback was going to be. As opposed to this year, where that quarterback room is set, that's got to be a big deal. So between having a set quarterback room and the salary cap flexibility to basically be able to go out and do whatever you think is going to help better this football team in the best way, you're not strapped this year. So for that alone, this has to feel like a much more um, promising offseason that probably definitely has fans more enthusiastic. And I would assume the players feel the same way. Absolutely. You know, any, anytime you're on the upswing, you know, like we are and have that much cap space, it is definitely exciting as a player. And, and I'm sure as a, you know, as a fan from the outside to, 
to, you know, to be excited about, you know, who are those really good, really strong players that, that we can bring in to build this roster and, and continue heading in that direction that we're going with the coaching staff. But, uh, you know, also, get, you know, we've got to make sure that we hit on the draft picks and, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's equally as hard as, as hitting on a, on a free agent. So just got to have confidence in, in the, in the management and, uh, and the coaching staff and, and, uh, who they're going to bring in, but it, you know, it is exciting. Yeah. I'm with Reed Ferguson of the Buffalo Bills. What does an NFL player do in the off season to kind of fill that competitive void that may be missing from the regular season and training camp and such? What do you do to, to stay competitive? You got to have that, keep that edge. You know what I mean? Or is it just all chill during the off season for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, probably like 70, 30 chill. I do, you know, as you know, take, after the season, take, take a couple of weeks off and then get back into working out. But as, as OTAs get closer and as, as mid April gets closer to when we have to report, you know, it, it doing, uh, you know, more difficult workouts, getting out there with, with, uh, you know, at, at your, a lot of guys have different training centers they go to. I've got one here in Atlanta that I go to and, working with other guys from other teams and, and doing speed drills and doing different, you know, different agility drills and, and, and you name it, uh, you know, a couple of times a week, getting out there and being competitive, you know, it, it helps to helps to build some friendships, but also, you know, get you ready to, to uh, get, get back rolling when you get back to Buffalo. Sure. You know what? That's enough football talk, man. Let's talk about the office. What got you into that show? What attracted you to that show? I kind of hooked up with you on Twitter. We had a little discussion about this. I always love talking to office fans. I kind of incorporated that into a segment on this podcast. So what is it about that show that really attracted you to it? So I think, I mean, the humor, one part, and, uh, you know, that's that's got to be it. But uh, I actually started watching, I, I guess, Back when it first started in in twenty what two thousand five I yeah, believe yeah two thousand five yep the first season it aired uh, my dad and I watched and gosh I mean I was in fifth sixth grade around that time but I, I remember when it was first coming on and watching the first couple seasons we had the first couple seasons on DVD and then uh, I didn't I didn't watch for I guess the rest uh, I, I I didn't watch for maybe four season four through through eight. And then I caught a kind of caught the, the summer season nine when it was on television, but when it got released on, you know, to be able to be streamed, I, you know, I've, I've done my fair share of <laughs> Netflix, Netflix office binge, right. uh, probably eight or nine times through just, <laughs> you know, just sit. I mean, you, it's so easy to pop on when you're doing housework, you know, you're, or whatever you're doing, you just sit there and you can watch like three episodes an hour, you know, you just, it's easy to, to, to go through and, and you get, you watch it enough times, you're, you're going to remember all the, all the funny parts and all the lines to it eventually. Who's your favorite character on the office? Uh, Michael Scott has got to be, I mean, Dwight is probably like one B. If Michael's one A, Dwight's probably one B. Right. So, and then Jim, I mean, I love Jim, but I like Krasinski more of his, his other, his other stuff he's done in the past couple of years. How do you feel about the last couple of seasons? Because like the most hardened office fans, it's kind of split. Some people stayed faithful to the show all the way through. Some people really think that this, the last two seasons after Michael Scott left fell off really, really bad. Where do you fall on that? You know, you, it's, it's difficult when you lose the best character on the, on the show, you know, you, you've got to, 
right four four more seasons or three more seasons whenever whenever he left. But you know, you give him cut him a little slack there. But it definitely dropped off. You know, with with Nelly and uh, all that nonsense. I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of of kind of all all of all of those episodes. But I mean, it's still funny because there's still a story to a backstory to follow with a lot of the, a lot of the characters. Yeah. I think one of the problems too, like Andy was a very likable character early on. And I feel like by the time he became a manager and over the last two seasons, it almost felt like at times they tried too hard to make him the next Michael Scott. You know what I mean? He kind of lost that charm and lovability that, that, that made him so much fun to watch. And he kind of became, like I said, like a poor man's Michael Scott when he was the boss. You agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, I can. I'm, I'm definitely on board with that idea. All right. Last question here, and then we'll wrap up with the mini lightning round. I just finished power ranking all 185 episodes of The Office. Very long, time consuming task, but it was a lot of fun. I published it on my blog along with the podcast as I, as I talked about the episodes and I got a lot of feedback. Most of it good. Just like any list, people are going to agree and disagree. I'm certainly not going to ask you to power rank all 185 episodes of The Office. But for you personally, what were your favorite one or two shows of the entire series? So Traveling Salesman, I think I I think I, I posted it on Twitter or replied to you. Traveling Salesman, underrated episode. I think a lot of people forget about it because it's early. But... That I mean, that's got to be top three. I think Dinner Party uh, is another one with Michael, you know, oh, yeah. talking about his his flat screen TV. That's I number mean, that one is, on my that, list. Yeah, that, that is just an all time, all time great episode. Dwight showing up with uh, his his, his baby, you know, former babysitter, <laughs> who's you know forty years older than him, <laughs> with the wine glasses. You know, it, it's ju- it's just great. Yeah. It is, and yeah. then the last episode when Michael shows back up. I mean, that's yeah, the finale, pure, pure glee right there. Yeah, I had that three. You just named two of my top three of my power rankings as well. There you go. Yeah, good stuff. All right, we're going to wrap up with the mini lighting round. Same deal as always. I'm just going to ask you a handful of random questions. No deep thought required. Whatever, whatever the first thing you think of, that's your answer. All right, you good with that? Good. Yeah, good. All right, let's start. Toughest football player you've ever played against. Uh, I'd have to go with uh, Nate Ebner uh, for the Patriots. He, he's he's a great he's a great special teams player. As a kid growing up, your favorite football player, uh, Peyton Manning. Favorite non-sports related activity to do? So no football, no soccer. Non-sports related, uh, I would say uh, watching movies. Big big movie buff. I probably know the answer. It probably just happened last week, but maybe not. Favorite city to visit? Uh, London, London, London was great, honestly. But uh, well, shoot, London—that was my first time out of the country, so I'd probably say London. That was had a phenomenal time there. What's the best sports movie you've ever seen? Best sports movie. Uh, remember the Titans. Okay. If you had never played football in any capacity, or if you tried and it just didn't work out for you, what do you think you may have went on to do with your life? Uh, probably would have been a baseball player. Really? Yeah. Who, who's your favorite baseball team? Uh, big Yankees fan. Nice. Okay. I was uh, my my little league team uh, was the was the Yankees one year, and uh, 
I was Roger Maris. Sweet. I would have bet my life oh. you would have said the Braves. So that, that that's a nice unexpected <laughs> surprise right there. Who's yep. the, who's the funniest player on the Bills? The most entertaining guy in your team? Oh man, uh, Tredavious White is hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. I figured that as much. All right, last two questions here. If Twitter were to send you a message and say, yo, Reed, new Twitter policy we got going. We're only allowing each person to follow one handle on Twitter. One handle, one person only. Who would that person be that you'd follow? Uh, I'd have to say uh, Clay Travis. He's a great Twitter follow, but he's a um, radio guy, sports radio guy, uh, national nationally syndicated radio radio host out of nashville um he does a great job a lot of a lot of good viewpoints on, on a lot of good things okay last question here you could have three dinner guests from any era dead or alive any era who do you got who's at your dinner table having a something to eat couple beers whatever okay so number one michael scott nice in in character i want steve carell in character nice um, I would have to say uh, Peyton Manning. I would love to ha- love to have a sit down with him, and then probably a, a former a former president like from a long time ago. Maybe I, I don't know George Washington or Abe Lincoln, one of the two. Probably call it George Washington, first president. Okay. I would love to love love to love to sit down with George Washington. That'd be sweet, man. That's a sweet list. All right, everyone, Reed Ferguson. Give him a follow on Twitter at SnapFlow69. Want to wish you continued success with the Buffalo Bills. Glad that you're a Buffalo Bill. This was fun, man. I'm glad to have you on the show, and it was a good opportunity, not just for me, but for fans to get to know you a little bit better. So thanks a lot. Really appreciate your time, Reed. I appreciate that. Yep, thanks. Pat with us. The victor belongs to sports. Why don't you get the fuck out of here before I shove your quotations book up your fat fucking ass? The customer is usually a moron and an asshole. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but then... All right, it's been about a full month since we've had a pat with pucks. Not since I had uh, Mike Rodak back on, I don't remember, episode 92. I'm assuming you probably never even listened to that episode anyway. Did you? Episode 92. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, when yeah, when you got in touch for this, I was uh, I was happy to hear that it was still going on, man. What are you like? <laughs> you're like six, seven months into this thing. Aren't you? A, I'm a year, dude. This is 99. Oh, God, get out of here. Yes. How many episodes do you think that you actually listened to? Again, this is the 99th episode. You've probably been in about 30, 35 of them. How many episodes in total do you think you've listened to? And I'm not even going to say the whole entire episode from start to finish. We'll even count more than 15 minutes as listening to an episode. 15 minutes. Can can we go to like 10, maybe minutes? Um, probably 20, man. That many? Probably, probably 20. <laughs> and now what a great teammate you are, man. Well, uh, here's the thing. Okay. I am not a podcast person. I am still a local radio, you know, I'm still a hardcore local radio yeah. listener. So if I were a podcast guy, all right, if I were out there listening to other podcasts and only found the time to, you know, listen to my boys 
like, you know, a uh, uh, 20% of the podcast that he's had or whatever, then that'd be fucked up. But I, I think I'm off. I think I should be let off the hook because I really just, it just doesn't cross my mind during the course of the day or whenever I'd be popping something on or whatever, you know, podcast just, just doesn't register yet. I, I, you know, I'm late. It's kind of like analytics with me. I'm, I'm late to the party, but I think I'll eventually get there. All right. So listen, before we get into Sabres and Bill's stuff, you're one of the few guys I have on this podcast that actually enjoys baseball. I love talking with Aaron Quinn and of course doing the running with Joe, but those guys admit it. They know nothing about baseball. In fact, I asked Aaron Quinn for his take on Manny Machado. I don't even think he, he admitted that he barely even know who he was. So I'd be remiss if I didn't have you on and ask you for a few quick thoughts on Manny going to the Padres and Bryce Harper in Philly. What were your thoughts? Were you surprised about either of those selections? And do you feel like they're good fits there? Well, Manny was the more surprising of the two. The Phillies, I think, were always the team most uh, often associated with uh, with where Harper would land. I was surprised to see them both. Manny, did Manny clear 300 also? Or, or like right he, at He, he landed right like on that? 300. He got, he right got 10 three. for 300. Yeah, man, I mean, but he also had, an, he has an out in his contract, which is really huge. So after five years, he it's his, it's his option. So if he's playing like shit or he, and something happens or if he's injured a lot or if he's regressing, he can opt in the contract and, and, and then he's paid for 10 years. For some reason, He's, you know, if he's still on top of his game and five years from now, he wants to opt out and become a free agent again, he'll only be 31 years old. So he could do that again, too. So that's a great contract for him. Yeah, I'm surprised that they both struck it as as well as they did. But, you know, this was really the first time like last year. I, and I mean, I, I could be mistaken, but it's no one's coming to mind last year when a lot of guys got underpaid when when the same sort of scenario played out and, and you know, uh, like uh, J.D. Martinez I felt like I got a little underpaid and, and stuff like that. I think we talked about this, you know, the last time we chatted. Um, there wasn't that big fish, you know what I mean? So we didn't, it, you know, this was our first chance to see what the, you know, the kind of this new landscape of free agents lasting so, so long into the off season. This is the first time that we've really had a look at how that affects the uh, the big fish and it did it. You know what I mean? It, it it affected them in terms of the time that it took them to land somewhere. But when all was said and done, you know, the money ended up very comparable to, uh, you know, kind of the pattern that we've seen from the Stanton contract and, and things like that. So, dude, Mike, um, Mike Trout might get 400 in two sure, years. Sure. Why wouldn't he? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. You know, he's better than better than both those guys. Look, you know, that's the other thing. All right. There's the possibility here that these teams could really regret it from a performance standpoint. You know, mainly, uh, you, you know, Harper has has been injury prone. Harper, you know, still has a batting average that can dip, you know, to to levels that uh, you don't want to see a guy you're paying twenty five million dollars to dip to. And Machado could just not be enough for you know, for that franchise to, to pull out of, you know, mediocrity. And then they're just, you know, they're just stuck. I think the Phillies might end up just stuck, man. Just, yeah, yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, 13 years, 13 bad. year contract and there's no outs. Like he's there for 13 years and he has a full 
no trade clause. So if he says, I ain't leaving, they try to trade him five, six years from now if he's declining or, you know, if the team stinks and they have to go into some sort of rebuild mode, that's Bryce Harper control. He's got all, Boris got him a great deal, man. He's got all the leverage. So yeah, Philly at some point, 13 years, they're going to get stuck. It's just a question of, is that only going to be for the last few years or is it going to be for the second half of that contract? I think the Dodgers came in late. He was ready to go. And the Phillies simply were not going to uh, were not going to not have this guy to introduce to their fan base. They just, you know, they've their entire uh, setup ha- has been for them. I mean, I like Hoskins a lot. I love the acquisition of Segura. Uh, I hate talking about this with you weeks before our fantasy baseball drafts. <laughs> um, but at the same, I, I, I mean, it, it, they needed that huge bat. In the middle, I think they were counting on Harper all along. I think he got real hairy for them uh, in the final hour with the Dodgers, and I think they just went fucking balls to the wall. I mean, three thirty. I, I I'd be nervous if I were a Phillies fan, but you know, I mean, that's that's for a later date. Soak it in now because you got a lineup that's just filthy. Yeah, all right, it is <laughs> with him and real real Mutos. Uh, recent acquisition yeah, and then Hoskins, they got, they got some know, good players around too. I agree. I, I, I do think that because of how late they signed, I have a feeling that neither guy signed with the team. That was their first choice. I think San Diego blew Manny away with the best offer and ditto for Bryce Harper with Philly. I think if all things could have been equal, I think Manny would have wanted to go to the Yankees. And I think that Bryce would have wanted to go to the Dodgers, but it didn't seem like the Yankees were very in on either player. Definitely weren't in on Bryce Harper. Cashman came flat out and said that he wasn't. Yeah, no, I mean, why would, you know, you, you put, uh, well, not that they would have been, not that they would have gone 300 or whatever, but you put Harper and Stanton together and you're paying like half a billion dollars for two guys that just, you know, they just strike out too damn much yeah. for my taste, man. I'm I'm sorry. I, it's just, uh I think Stanton's overpaid too at uh, at two seventy five. I, I, you know what? That's enough of the baseball though. I've I spent so much time today on my big board. It's probably tighter than it's ever been. You're <laughs> all wrapped up in this in, in in this podcast stuff. You you're not even like competition anymore. Like I don't even look. I don't even go into a season and worry about you. I got to bounce back you're, because you're, this podcast, you're, you're right, man. You're yeah, I, you're, I'm, I'm going to tell it like it is, man. I missed the playoffs last year. First time in nine years that I wasn't at least like in the final four. I didn't even make the playoffs. So I'm going to blame it entirely on the podcast, but I'm not going to have that excuse this year. I got to, I got to get to work, man. Like I, I almost feel like I could, I could like bring up a guy like Jameson Tyon from the pirates and you wouldn't even know who he is. I don't even know who he is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, listen, let's transition into the Sabres. I've been trying to avoid it, but come on. I mean, you look back at this team, the end of November, two months into the season and Buffalo's literally on top of the NHL standings. I don't think anyone expected that to be sustained that level of play, but even worst case, you had to figure that they'll be right there among maybe the top third in the conference or so. And you fast forward, we're in the start of March here, first week of March. There's a full month left of the season, a full month and a couple of days, actually. And this team's literally buried. They're done. It's over already. I mean, when you factor in the expectations that, fair or not, that came after that 10-game winning streak and where they were at at the time and where they fall into at this point in the season already, doesn't this to you have to rank among the most epic collapses you can remember among any Buffalo sports team ever? 
Oh, man. I didn't think you were going to go with collapses. I, I thought you were just going to go with, you know, disappointments. And that's, I think, where I'm hedging towards more than than it being a collapse. I don't, maybe it was just pessimism, but I wasn't sold from the streak. Now, I didn't see this coming. You know, I mean, if you would have asked me after the streak, if I still felt like this was a playoff team, I, I'd say yes. But, you know, th- those were a lot of, overtime wins right you know one goal one goal wins i mean those were a ton of coin flip games and you know the coin flipped in our favor 10 times in a row but dude i mean it just it it didn't look sustainable then and it's not a huge surprise now when you sum up all the parts i think the you know the biggest parts that um that i look at you know, that uh, that add up to where they found themselves is I start with the coaching. I've never liked Bill Housley. All right. I just I feel like a guy with the sort of pedigree that he had as a player, American born, you know, uh, Hall of Famer guy who, you know, got into coaching fairly early after after his career, you know, played very, very late into his career. Guys like that that don't fast track to head coaches, like maybe say like a Rob Brindamore did or something like that. That's a sign of, of, of something, you know, some weakness that they have that, um, that they didn't fast track. And, and I just don't, I mean, uh, I just don't think he's a very good hockey coach, man. I, I, you know, I, I think something's going on with that team because I mean, they look like they've rolled over that three game stretch where they played three shitty teams in the row. What was it? The Rangers, the devils, and I think the Panthers, and they got zero points in those three games. They weren't out of it at that time. And Phil called them soft after that New York Rangers. That was the home game where they got blown out. I want to say like six, three or something like that. Housley called them soft. And then they go out and they rolled over in New Jersey. And then they yeah, pretty they much came, did the same. in Florida. even softer. Yeah. It's, look, I, I just, I don't think he pushes the right buttons and I don't think it's I, I don't think it's going to change. I think he will get into next year. I think I think Botterill will try to give him a better middle six, um, you know, heading into next year. But I think it's a very very reasonable debate to have as to whether or not he ever coaches uh, in a playoff game for the Buffalo Sabers because I think as as down as people are on the Sabers, I think people still look at Eichel you know, middle stat Darlene and say, eventually this team will play in a playoff game. All right. I, I think we, we all kind of agree on that, but as to whether or not Phil Housley is the coach when they do, boy, I, I think you'd get a pretty even split uh, for the money on that bet. You know what? I actually agree with you on every single front that you just said. I also think Phil Housley comes back next season no matter how bad of a collapse or a disappointment, whatever you want to label this season, has been for Buffalo. I think at least in part that might be because if Jason Botterill fires him after only two seasons, that really puts a bullseye on his chest because he's the one who hired Phil Housley and it would just look like a terrible decision. So I think Housley comes back next year no matter what. But I don't necessarily think he gets a full year. If this team gets off to a, a rough start, I could absolutely see Housley being replaced next season, maybe at maybe the third mark of the season, something like that. He's not automatically going to get three full seasons. So he'll start next year. And I think it's one of those, we'll wait and see approaches. But regardless, you know, you talk about 
Housley not being able to motivate this team properly. Dan Blysma, the year before, he got ran out of town from everything from we understand, kind of for the same reasons. His message fell flat. The players tuned him out. You got to start wondering now, if this is two coaches that they're tuning out in this locker room, what the fuck is going on in this locker room? Why are they not being motivated? Why are they not taking the coaching well? Because let's be honest here, it looks like over this last, I don't know, what, 15, 20 games, something like that, with everything on the line, it kind of feels like at certain times, this team, at least going by the way they look when they're on the ice on TV, it almost looks like they're out there rolling over. Yeah, I mean, I hope someday, you know, some equipment guy or something, I I, I don't know, well, preferably somebody uh, a little higher up on the food chain than that. I hope some somebody writes the story of those, uh, you know, first couple of uh, of Tim Murray's teams and just what, you know, what the stench in that locker room was exactly. You know, I, I think it was, you know, guys like, Guys like Gianta and Georges and whatnot were brought in to groom Eichel and Reinhardt to be future leaders of this franchise. And somewhere along the way, it went very wrong. <clears throat> Evander Kane. Um, it went very wrong <laughs> in that locker room. No, but seriously, man. Yeah, I know. You know yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, they, 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 there wasn't respect for those leaders, the, the younger cats in the locker room you know, ran the roost and now they're starting, you know, Botterill started from, from scratch almost. And, uh, it's kind of like wide receiver with the bills. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't need them to go sign the, an elite, uh, veteran free agent at receiver, but I need someone that's going to stabilize that room. Okay. Because Zay Jones, they need, they need to be shown the way. And I think this is a hockey team that still needs to be shown the way. I mean, even their veterans never played in any big games. You know what I mean? I mean, it's fucking what, what Bogosian, he's never played any meaningful hockey. Scandella's played in a few games, you know, uh, uh, with, with the Wild back in the day, but he's got the same sort of stigma that George's had. You know, everybody thinks he sucks. Who's listening to him? Right. You know? I don't know, man. I, 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 I He needs... He needs to bring and and Pominville, you know, Pominville's played in some big games here previously, but he's not a real vocal leader. He's more of a quiet leader. Uh, just you know, they need one more year to you know to solidify. I don't want to say the room, but just the the attitude, man. The attitude. You could see them collapse. I, Jeremy White can sit there and say that that fucking stat that they're scored on within like two minutes of a goal, you know, an unbelievable number of times. That that's just a, you know, a matter of the way the numbers fall. I, I disagree. All right, I totally disagree. This team is still fragile, and it needs to be toughened up a little bit. Um, you know. I agree with you, but one thing that is driving me crazy for all the excuses that Sabre fans out there, the apologist portion of the fan base has, is that this team is too young. I absolutely loathe that because it's not true at all. They're not too young to be winning right now. Sure, they got Dalina Middlestad, their rookies. Rodriguez is his first full season in the league. You know, one or two other guys that are kind of in that same boat, but they got more than enough veterans on this team that... Being too young is not an excuse. And by the way, Eichel's finishing up his fourth season right now. Ditto for Sam Reinhardt. There's enough veterans on this team that 
Youth should not be any type of an excuse. And I know losing Ryan O'Reilly, in hindsight, it's easy to be an armchair GM and look back at trades and say, well, that's a terrible trade. Well, at the time, I didn't think getting rid of him was a terrible trade. It seemed to me like it was a problem in the locker room. But you look back, and the return that they got for him is just deplorable. Berglund was a complete flop. Saboka is the team whooping boy. Tage Thompson, I mean, seriously, this guy might be, and I get it, that he's still young, and he should be included in that first group of players that I talked about. But right now, it looks like he is lazy on the ice. He doesn't even move around at the time. No, no. Yeah, you know, I tried to I tried to uh to get a response from uh from Hamilton and Harrington the other night. He I, I cannot remember a guy less interested in playing defense um than Tage Thompson. I mean, he is just pitiful in his own zone. Uh he's gotta take a major step, you know, for that trade. I, I yeah, that 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 trade it wasn't gonna look good this year, though. It just it wasn't gonna look good this year, especially if Middlestat didn't step up or one of the two returning players couldn't fill the void um until Middlestat did. And well, Berglund just, killed him. Berglund killed him. Every they counted on Berglund to you know to eat up some of those minutes and and kind of ease Middlestat into a bigger role. And that just I mean, obviously that was a disaster, Berglund. But the one thing I like, and, and maybe this will allow us to, you know, transition to the gridiron, but you know, I feel like both franchises right now, and maybe more specifically, both general managers right now, have pretty much run out of excuses for the off seasons that are in front of them right now, uh, as it relates to Bean, or soon to be in front of them as it relates to Botterill. You know, Bean has cleared the deck, cleared the contracts, got his quarterback, has a shit ton of money. All right, and a full uh, array of draft picks, and Botterill has you know cleared uh, you know some of the locker room cancer in uh, in O'Reilly, gotten the first round pick in in Darlene, uh, you know gets to drop off the Molson contract stuff like that. Both these guys heading into year three, they're just out of excuses, man. These guys have to deliver a product in these upcoming seasons. So that's fun to, you know, the, the, at least they're out of excuses, bro. That doesn't mean that, you know, we're not going to be calling for their heads. Like always seems to happen, but sure. they're out of excuses. Both, both teams, general managers are poised to make that next move, you know, to put a, a as good a product out there. All right. As anyone else uh, can put out there. I agree. You know what? I agree is kind of become a term that I've used an awful lot on this segment, but I do agree. Let's turn our attention to the Buffalo Bills and more specifically Brandon Bean for a few minutes here. You know, the NFL Combine's going on right now, and that's always fun. Seeing 40 times and stuff like that, it gives you something to talk about. And I know this is the mock draft time of year, but I just can't pay any real attention to mock drafts yet. And I know that you're not much of a, a combine guy or so much a draft prospect guy, at least not at this portion of the offseason, because it's all about free agency right now, which starts in like, what, a week and a day? I feel like this. Right now, it's easy to look at a Bills mock draft and say Juwan Taylor goes to the Bills, the offensive tackle from Florida, with the ninth pick. Well, you know what? If they go on in free agency on March 13th and they give Daryl Williams $10 million to play right tackle, 
you could throw that mock draft in the garbage because they're not going to need that position. You got to wait to see how free agency shakes out before you can really pay any mind to mock drafts because teams right now, you don't know what they're going to need. It's going to change really soon. But anyway, Brandon Bean has said the team's going to be active in free agency. I can't remember the exact term he used, but he alluded to being active but not reckless with their money. How aggressive do you think this team is going to be come March 13th? Do you think that they may be more aggressive than they've let on? Well, first off, and I know you were just kind of making an example uh, uh, in terms of having to see how free agency plays out prior to the draft, but I could see the Bills uh, signing a tackle and drafting a tackle because I think sliding uh, Dawkins inside is is a very possible scenario True. if things fall into place the way, you know, just to where, you know, tackles are the best move for them, you know, in free agency in the draft or whatever. But, you know, as far as free agency itself, yeah, man, I, I think he's posturing a little bit with the fans, telling them, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of trying to keep their, their expectations in check a little bit because I think the fans know the amount of money that's out there right now. And, and I think we're all pretty excited about it. You know, and I, I think he's just kind of trying to tell us that, you know, we're going to be smart, but we're they're going to spend. You, you know, I mean, it's not like he's he's got fifty available and he's going to go into free agency and only spend like fifteen or twenty of it or something. Um, I think he's going to be really aggressive. He's always, you know, he he has been since the day that he got here. So I I, I don't I don't see any reason to expect it to be any different um, in free agency. The concern is, and I think it's a very valid one is that there's a lot of teams out there that have, you know, gotten smarter with the cap and cleared the deck, you know, to have that kind of money available. Uh, one in particular in the Indianapolis Colts, you know, has a an all-pro quarterback already in place. Uh, so between them and the Jets, I get real nervous, uh, you know, when it comes to some of our needs possibly mirroring some of theirs. Absolutely. But I think, uh, dude – I'm a, I'm a Bean fan, man. All right, I'm a I'm a Bean fan. He's overpaid at times when he wanted to go get his guy, and to that I say, so what? You know, Chris Ivory is a guy that you know everybody kind of scratched their head. Uh, you know, when he got three million and you know two years uh, at three mil or whatever per year. You know, Chris Ivory ran like a fucking beast last year, okay? Brandon Bean wanted his guy. He went out and overpaid a little bit and got him. Big deal, all right? Do it again. <laughs> Do it again. I'm glad you mentioned him. I'm going to get to him in a second. Before that, though, I, it is a fun free agent offseason for the Bills because the cap room, like you said, the, the deck is cleared. Last year was all about money, you know, being tight against the cap, still getting rid of some contracts. And more importantly, it was stressful because nobody knew who the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills was going to be. We didn't know if Tyrod Taylor was going to be the guy. They traded him. Then they went out and signed A.J. McCarron. So we didn't know. Maybe it was him, Peterman. We didn't know who they were going to draft. Of course, it ended up being Josh Allen and how the season played out. But the big difference between this year and last year is now that quarterback room is set. You know what I mean? They don't. We don't have to spend two seconds this entire offseason talking about quarterback. They got all three guys in that room that they want, that they like, that is set, as opposed to last year, all of our time and focus. If you went back and listened to our segments from about a year ago, 
We would spend, if we spend a half hour talking about the Bills, 20 to 25 minutes was talking about the quarterbacks each and every week. That's different this year. So I'm a big fan of that. If you were to prioritize right now, if you could play Brandon Bean, and I'm not going to name specific players because none of us know, but you look at the positions on this team and the talent they have right now, where would you prioritize where you would put the majority of your resources between free agency and let's say the first three, four picks of the draft? Oh man, I I think it is an absolute slam dunk, okay, that they are going to spend A, big money, and B, big draft capital, okay, on defensive tackle and offensive tackle, period, end of story, man. I know how in love people have gotten with uh with DK Metcalf I'm not saying he ain't in play okay I think the tight end uh you know uh, from Iowa could be in play as well I'm not ruling either of those guys out it could it may well be a day two thing you know with these positions but I think defensive tackle and offensive tackle is uh is the priority uh, you know coming away uh, from free agency and by day two of the draft with two starters at those positions, I think is number one on the list. I mean, if, if the Bills came away from by day two on the draft and their starters, and this obviously assumes that free agency is over as well, and their starting receivers are still Foster and Zay Jones, but they got a veteran slot guy. I think we could live with it. I, I think we could live with it. But if they came away, all right, from free agency and by day two of the draft and didn't have a new a starter to replace Kyle Williams and one to replace Jordan Mills, but I think we're in trouble. So I, I think it's I think it is all about defensive tackle and offensive tackle. One more Bills thing, and then I want to wrap up here. You mentioned Chris Ivory a couple of minutes ago. Ivory and McCoy, well, McCoy being one, are the two oldest running backs in the NFL that are under contract right now for 2019. I would have ridden Chris Ivory off already for this offseason, thinking that he was going to be cut. Only because, again, the age and the fact that they're definitely going to bring someone else in. But I'll tell you what, at the Combine in Indy, Brandon Bean's press conference, a bunch of coach speak, which you would expect, or GM speak, I should say. But he went out of his way from what I gathered to be complimentary on the way Chris Ivory runs. I think that this team does like him. He's already under contract. He's got one more year left, as does McCoy. I think Chris Ivory actually is going to be back at this point, no matter what. And like I said, whether it's a draft pick early or in the mid part of the draft, or they go out and they sign a notable free agent running back, a younger guy. You know, I'm dying on this hill, I guess, by myself, but I've been saying it for quite a while, and I think I'm going to continue to say it. I am not sure that LaShawn McCoy, despite everything that's been said, everything that's been said, I still am not sure that come week one, this guy is going to be on the Buffalo Bills roster. He makes $9 million. He's going to be 31 years old. They can save like $6.4 million by cutting him which for financial reasons is unnecessary because they got all the cap room in the world. But if they go out and they get a young guy and they like Chris Ivory, at the end of the day, maybe to keep McCoy around and they're doing that right now to see what happens with him, 
but there's no guarantee he's going to be on this roster. And again, I am going to go as far to say that I don't think he's going to be on this roster when it's said and done. Well, it's going to come down to free agency, man. I think the name everybody's looking at there that uh, that could potentially put some of those McCoy, you know, rumors uh, to the forefront is uh, is Coleman from sure. uh, from Atlanta. You know, they go out and sign a guy like that. Well, now, you know, now it becomes very real. OK, um, because I definitely think they're drafting somebody. But if, you know, if they if they whiff on a guy in free agency, like I don't think they're going into free agency saying we want to sign a running back. But I think they probably have a target in free agency at running back. And it's probably Coleman. There might be one other one out there. All right. But I don't think they're, that that they're necessarily, you know, like they have like like I bet you a tackle, bro. I bet you like they <laughs> Um, they have plan B, C, and D. Okay. Sure. Uh, at running back, they probably only have plans A and B. And if they got to hold on to Shady, then they'll just hold on to Shady and they'll draft somebody. But if the cards, you know, break their way um, and they can get, you know, a target, uh, you know, for, for the backfield, then, then yeah, uh, the, it, it becomes, it definitely becomes a, a story with Shady. All right, let's wrap up. What's your puck drop? You haven't had a puck drop in a month. Make it good. What do you got? That's a lot of pressure, man. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. Rise. You, know you got to rise. You, rise up, man. Rise up. You know you know, I don't prepare for these things. Um, you don't listen to them either, so I would expect you to prepare. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. Like, you know, sometimes what I like to do is kind of look around the bunker and see what, uh, what, what could trigger the puck drop. So I've got it. All right, because I'm looking at what me and and Littlest Pucks have dubbed the uh, the most uncomfortable recliner in the history of recliners. So, like the last last few nights, all right, I've been I've been hunkering down on the world's most uncomfortable recliner, throwing on the old uh, the old uh, HBO Go. All right, you know, using mom's account and whatnot. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, you think about the, the 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 whole library of HBO. You could go anywhere. All right. I, I mean, there's there's fabulous sports documentaries. Uh, you know, there's the movies, there's the series, there's the comedy specials. I mean, I'll spend twenty minutes just trying to you know lock into the you know the perfect show to fit the mood. And dude, every single time. All right, at least you know for the last week or so. I end up in the same spot and that is watching reruns of game of Thrones. All right. We are about a month and a half away right now from what I am going to call the most anticipated final season of any television show ever. All right. We're talking six movie length episodes, each one of them. All right. Just absolute edge of your seat, like waking up Sunday morning. Oh my God, it's here. I cannot wait for nine o'clock type shit. All right. When's the last time a television show had you like that? I can't wait. Like, I can't wait to be done to hang up and to turn around, get on the world's most uncomfortable recliner and, and just fire up an, an episode. It is going to be epic when that shit launches for the, for the final season in a month and a half.
All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Big thank you again, Reed Ferguson of the Buffalo Bills. That was a fun chat. Hopefully you guys got to get to know him a little better. Thanks as well to my man, Tone Pucks. Another edition of Pat with Pucks. Always love doing that with him. Again, like I said, Friday's show, episode number 100. Tim Graham of The Athletic will be my guest. It's going to be a lot of fun. Guys, if you haven't done so already, I invite you to subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's completely free. When you subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone or to your computer within minutes of their release. That's the big benefit of subscribing. Simply put, you get the episodes before anyone else does. I usually have a new show every Tuesday and Friday. Don't forget to rate and review. Again, that always helps us tremendously. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify. You know what? Pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets and hit like on the Moranalytics Podcast Facebook page. Thanks again. Thank you always for listening. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough and the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, click or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.